I have found in my life that I begin to grow spiritually when things aren't going my way and I'm struggling with circumstances around me, oftentimes out of my control, or things and mistakes that I've done that come back to me in spades. <laughs> they seem to do that, don't they, huh? But those are the times that I grow, and I'm thankful to God for that. That's what this song is all about. We don't seem to grow when everything's going our way. Isn't that true? We grow when the heat's on. That's how athletes reach their peak performance, is when they sweat and work hard and suffer, train, sacrifice. That's the way it is. After a four-year-old boy told his father that he had a stomachache, the father suggested, son, it's because your stomach is empty. You'd feel better if you had something in it. So he gave his son a glass of milk. A couple days later, the family's pastor was visiting, and the pastor was sitting there talking with the family, and the boy was there. And the pastor said, I have a headache. My head hurts. And the little boy responded, that's because your head is empty. You'd feel better if you had something in it. <laughs> so I think sometimes us pastors feel that maybe that's the reason. That's, that's what's going on inside. We, we need to fill our heads with something good. Turn with me to Scripture, Acts chapter 23, please. Overcoming the nobodies, or overlooking the nobodies, I should say. Starting at verse number 12, the next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath. This is Acts chapter 23, verse 12. They bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. This is Paul the Apostle. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. These are religious people. The commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. Anyway, now then, you, they're speaking to the chief priest, and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander, Roman commander, to bring Paul before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. So an assassination. Huh. Interesting. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, most people don't realize Paul did have family, and this was a family member, a sister, her son. So it's Paul's nephew. When the son of Paul's sister, there's no name of the guy, heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul, then Paul called one of the centurions, which is a military Roman officer in charge of a hundred men. That's what a centurion means, century, a hundred. Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So the centurion took the young boy, Paul's nephew, to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand drew him aside and said, uh, what is it you want to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin, which is the 
elders, the 70 who govern the Jewish nation who are stationed or in living in Jerusalem, tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for Paul. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. In other words, the commander was supposed to release Paul to go back to the Sanhedrin, and on the way back, he was going to be ambushed and killed. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, do not tell anyone that you've reported this to me. Father, thank you. We look at this passage of scripture and we go, wow, this young man, there's no name here, but he is one of your children. A young man who is never again heard in scripture, but he has a very important mission to save the life of his uncle Paul. And we pray, God, that you would open our hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It was November 1877 at the All Souls Chapel in Kensington, England, when a young boy walked to the front of the chapel after the service to give his heart to Christ. And on the way there, he heard comments like this, Oh, it's only a gypsy boy. His name was Rodney Smith. He was the son of gypsy parents who were uneducated. The gypsies at that time in Europe were the lowest of the low class, kind of like the untouchables in India. He went to the altar and gave his heart to Christ, could not read or write, but he taught himself how to read and write. He got an English dictionary and a Bible and began to learn how to read. A very difficult situation, especially since he was a young man at the time. He became an evangelist and brought hundreds and hundreds of souls to Christ in England and in the United States. And he once said, the way to Jesus is not by Cambridge or Harvard or Yale or the poets. It is through the old-fashioned way of the Hill of Calvary. Against all odds, Rodney Smith, the gypsy boy, became one of the most famous evangelists that the world has ever seen. Have you ever heard anybody say about another person, oh, it's just so-and-so? I have. Have you ever heard anybody say that about you? Oh, it's just Pam. Oh, it's just Barry. Oh, it's just Larry. Ah, it's just Joel. Have you ever felt like a nobody before? Anybody here felt like a nobody? It's easy to feel like a nobody, especially in this culture of America. Who gets all the attention and all the acclamation and all of the semi-worship, the rich and the famous, the athletic and the talented, the powerful, the intellectually gifted, those all receive the praise and the acclamation. They're lifted up on the pedestal and they're worshipped. Uh, it's amazing. I, my wife and I, uh, we if we go to the movies, we're very, very selective about where we go. It's nice to get away, get out of the house a little bit, and go into a dark theater and start smooching. No, I'm too. 
and you know what and watch the, the watch the movie and it, you know it, it, the last two ones we've seen are animation so it's pretty clean it's it's nice but um, my my point is that the actors and actresses who are in these real life movies you see them um, at, at the Oscars or the ESPYs or the other uh, the Emmy Awards and they are photographed and they are you know they're on the red carpet and it's all just it's really it's really something if we feel we don't fit into any of these categories we feel unworthy we feel disrespected possibly unimportant not part of the in crowd for boys growing up not to be picked on a sports team uh, to be played whether it be football baseball basketball whatever uh, it's a real blow I was blessed that I had some athletic ability and I was one of the first ones picked. But I remember looking at some of the kids that were eventually picked, the last ones, okay, we'll take him. It's like, wow, there are nobody. And for girls, it's even more complicated. You're not invited to a party or you're not invited to join a clique of friends for some reason or uh, having a good friend ignore you and go to hook up with a boyfriend or you didn't get picked for a sports team. Some of you played sports. A billion things can happen to make us feel like a nobody. And it doesn't just happen in junior high school or in high school, right? It can happen at any age where we don't feel like we're worth anything. We feel left out. Oftentimes, when I go to the district council, our church is an Assemblies of God church. Uh, once a year, we have the district council at the end of April, and it's usually at uh, Capital Christian Center, Sacramento. And so I'm, I'm a small church pastor. I'm, I'm, I feel sometimes like a nobody. I get there, and I walk around, and there's already bunches of cliques that are formed. I, I use the term, probably it's a negative term, but all these pastors that have been involved in ministry together, larger churches are together. And I, you know, sometimes I feel like it, nobody sees me. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's all lifelong. It, it doesn't just happen and stop when you get out of high school. And when things like that happen to you, you begin to question, why aren't I more like so-and-so? Why am I being treated this way? Uh, and what value or worth do I do I contribute to to our world? In this passage of scripture, let me give you a little background here. Paul is arrested by Roman soldiers for creating a disturbance in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has always been a hotbed of dissension and all kinds of things going on. He was preaching Jesus Christ as the Messiah which was anathema, poison to the Jews. They were still looking for the Messiah to come and to deliver them from Roman occupation. And Jesus came humbly and proclaimed the kingdom of God and showed that he was, in fact, God in the flesh, the Messiah. Paul gave his testimony of his conversion on the way to Damascus, which is a the old city of Damascus, which is still there today in the country of Syria. He was on the road to Damascus and a bright light uh, and a vision of Christ, the, the presence of Christ knocked him off of his horse and he was blinded for three days. 
until he was prayed over. Scales fell off of his eyes after the prayer, and he became one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. And when he <clears throat> told this crowd of Jews in Jerusalem that he was going to be preaching to the Gentiles, the Goyim in Hebrew, that really riled them up. And they began to throw things and, and dirt and you know rip their, their, their garments in, in agony and, and uh, mourning. And it was time for the Roman commander to step in and to get this guy off the street before it got out of hand. And so he arrests Paul and br brings him to a holding cell. And he's about ready to whip him because Paul has caused this disturbance. And Paul said, are you going to whip a Roman citizen? Paul was a Roman citizen. <clears throat> and so the jailer goes, no, I, I can't do that. You have to have a trial first before you're punished. And so the commander holds Paul for a while. And then a, uh, the next day he releases Paul. Paul goes back to the Sanhedrin, this body of 70 elders ruling in Jerusalem, and he does the same thing. He preaches Jesus as the Messiah, and he tells him about his testimony. And he says the same thing that he did the day before, and the same thing happens. They get all riled up, so the commander had to come in and take him out. And then he puts him in a military barracks and keeps him under guard and decides to move Paul to another city to get him out of Jerusalem for his own sake. In the meantime, a group of Jews decide to kill Paul. And so they get together with the chief priest, who should know better because he is an administrator and a teacher of the law, and they said, we're going to kill Paul, this guy who's preaching Jesus, and so we want you to be in on it, number one. And number two, we want you to pretend that you want to talk with Paul, and so you're going to ask the Roman commander to bring him out of the jail and on his way to see you and the Sanhedrin, we're going to assassinate him and kill him. And by the way, we're not going to eat and drink until we do. So they were serious. And as they were talking, Paul's nephew, his sister's son, hears of the plot. And he sneaks out and goes and tells Paul what's happening. Paul tells the Roman centurion, who then tells the commander, and the commander says, we can't have this. So he, he um, sends an escort. He sends Paul out of the city with a large escort and thwarts the assassination plan. But Paul's nephew is a nobody, no name, nothing. Never hear about him again in Scripture. Kind of like us. Paul's life is spared. This nephew of his, this no-name, nobody, saved Paul's life because when Paul was released on escort to go to Caesarea, then he began to write the letters that became our New Testament. If Paul was assassinated and killed by the Jews, we wouldn't have a large portion of our New Testament. Thank goodness the nephew was there at the time. But he's a nobody. Nobody knows him. God knows who he is. The world overlooks nobodies. But God never overlooks nobodies. And God declares that no one is a nobody. Can you dig that? Nobody is a nobody. 
<laughs> All right, in your insert, in your bulletin, are the notes. Follow with me, please. The first point, I am carefully created for God's good purposes. I want you to think about that for a second. Now, many of you are thinking, you know, Pastor, you're really on your high horse about this abortion thing. You know, it's interesting, not long after I got saved, I still had my old way of thinking. I still thought that abortion was okay. If the women didn't want the baby, boom, you know. But the more I got into the Lord and reading his word, the more I understood that it is murder. You're taking a life. And we are all have been fashioned by God in our mother's womb, carefully created. Why? So that we can take up space and breathe air and eat food? Well, kind of. But much more than that, we're made for a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, even before you were born. God had your life already planned out, and he had the works for you to do. He had a purpose for your life. Some of you sitting here thinking, going, I don't have a purpose. Pastor, I'm, you know, I'm retired now, and I'm... Well, no, you still have a purpose in God's plan. You're still very important. God has things for you to do. Look at what's happened with the, this ministry that's going to be taking place. I really believe with all my heart that God has is going to use this as a rallying point for our church. I remember years ago, I went to the California State Fair, which is, by the way, on now, and... Uh, there was a whole area set aside for sand sculptures, and it was beautiful. I remember looking at that, and I'm thinking, my goodness, there was a lot of care taken to craft these sand sculptures that were absolutely beautiful. But how temporary they are. I mean, you could have taken a hose <laughs> and ruined a guy's whole day, you know, by smashing his castle with water. How much more are we crafted and created in God's womb for good purposes eternally. We're not temporary. We are eternal creatures. Totally opposite of what human beings feel like the, the life in the womb, the baby in the womb is, is uh, dispensable, temporary. It's just a fetus. That baby has been crafted for eternal glory. God has given each person a special mission and purpose only we can fulfill. My wife and I have been here for 13 and a half years. We've seen this church, lots of people, and we've seen it low, back and forth. Is that going to cause us to stop coming here and preach? No, it's not going to do that. We're going to continue to be faithful. But I believe that God has placed us here. He's given us a purpose, just like he's given you a purpose in your own family and in your own position. Some of you, many of you, have already a very important part of this church, and we're grateful for that. Psalms chapter 139, verse 16 says this. David writes, All the days ordained or set aside for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. God knows our lives before we even took our first breath. Everything we see created by man, listen to me, paintings, sculptures, buildings, monuments, homes, museums, 
will one day be gone. But the lives of people that we have touched every day, the little kids, the teenagers, whatever, the lives that we've touched will last until eternity. The influence that we have on the souls of others, whether they're big and little, old or young, adult or child, lasts forever. It is an eternal influence. Giving a pair of shoes to a child who has none or whose shoes are already worn out past the, the point of usefulness is a blessing for eternity. God has carefully created each of us as unique people to impact others' lives. I can't reach people. You can. You're in places that I, I don't go to. And so you have the opportunity to touch people's lives that I can't. God has lovingly fashioned the body and the soul of each human being. There's no such thing as a nobody inside a mother's womb. Every person is created as a masterpiece by the Heavenly Father. You are not a nobody. You are created for God's purpose. Number two, I am uniquely special in God's divine perspective. I'm uniquely special. I'm special. Psalms chapter 8, verse 5, You, God, made him, man, a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. This might be news to you, but probably not. There is no one else like you. Isn't that good? There's nobody else like you. You are uniquely formed. Even identical twins are not perfectly identical. You know what I mean? There are some slight differences. Even a mother can, tend, can tell the slight differences. Stories abound of twins who've been separated at birth and then they've been reunited later on in life. There was a story not long ago on the news where two South Korean ladies uh, were abandoned by their parents. They were twins and uh, they were picked up in an orphanage and they were adopted by American parents, but two different parents, two different sets of families. And the parents said, you know, they separated the twins, but they were, they found out about each other through Facebook and Ancestry.com and they got together. And it's like they, they never were separated. They just meshed together. It was good. But they're still unique. Our uniqueness displays the unlimited creativity of God. Can you imagine trying to fashion seven and a half billion different people? Different fingernail prints, fingerprints, uh, the different of bottom of your feet. So even your eyes, there's some security devices nowadays where you look at it and it focuses in on your iris, your lens. It has a certain quality about it, a certain color there that only you have and that it picks it up as your identity. Each of us is truly one of a kind. We have a unique personality. Isn't that, isn't that great that, uh, that your personality is unique? It'd be horrible to have a whole room full of Barry Carols here. It, it'd be a real bummer. Unique Likes and dislikes, what I like, you may not like, what you like, I may not like. Unique talents, unique skills and giftings, everything. Listen, in the art world, don't you know that uniqueness is greatly valued? There's only one Da Vinci, Mona Lisa, or Last Supper, 
only one. It's extremely valuable and under guard. I remember when I was overseas in Europe, stationed over there in the military, I had a chance to travel to Italy, went to the Vatican and, I, 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 and uh, St. Peter's Cathedral, and I walked into St. Peter's Cathedral, and this is back in 73, 74, walked inside, and I looked over to the right, and it was the Michelangelo sculpture called the Pieta. Does everyone know what the Pieta is? The Pieta is the sculpture of Mary after she's taken Jesus off of the cross and Jesus' lifeless body is laying across her lap and she's looking at him like that. Well, there was a cage around it and the, the sculpture itself was kind of blocked off. You could see parts of it. And I asked one of the docents, one of the tourist guides there, I said, what, how did that happen? What's going on? He goes, there was a, a nut cake that came in just a couple weeks ago with a sledgehammer and started whacking away on the pieta. I'm going, oh my goodness. Michelangelo's David boy sculpture, famous. It's David with a lot of curly hair and this, uh, this slingshot and this robe over it. And by the way, back then when they did these sculptures in the Renaissance area, they didn't have much clothes on. And I remember our boys, when they saw a replica of the David, and they were little, they walked into this room and there was this David, the statue there, they went like this. Eyes open. There's only one Vincent van Gogh field of sunflowers. Only one. How much more valuable are we than any human produced masterpiece? We are single, simply, we are special, uniquely made. You are not a nobody. You are uniquely special. I, I wish more people could hear this. You are uniquely special. And number three, I am unchangingly important by God's eternal pronouncement. I'm unchangingly important. You are important. All of you are important. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 26. Therefore I, Jesus, tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Well, yeah. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Yes, you are. You are eternally more valuable than a sparrow. Your importance to God is not dependent on your looks or your gender or your nationality or your skin color or your bank account amount or your educational level, your spiritual maturity or any of that stuff or your influence over others or your position of power and authority. Your importance does not depend on any of that stuff. Are you with me? Are you guys listening? You're with me. Good. You are important to God because you are his child. You're created by him. And you are given life by him. And you are given a purpose by him to live for him on this earth. God pronounces, proclaims your importance. Psalms chapter 8. Back in Psalms chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, talking about man, and crowned him with glory and honor. You are crowned 
with God's glory and honor. You are made in his image. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. We are the mandates. We are the ones who are over all of these things. God has made his ruler on this earth. We are important. You are uniquely you, different from everyone else, and perfectly and eternally loved by God and deemed eternally important. Think about that. Let it sink in. You are important to God. Jesus always singled out certain people wherever he went. You know who he singled out? He singled out the low-life people, according to their culture. People who had disfigurements or who were blind or who were deaf or who couldn't speak or who had leprosy. By the way, back then, the thinking was, if you got one of those things, that meant that either you or your parents or your parents' parents, somebody along the line here messed up with God, and he got ticked off, and so he pfft, zapped a child to give them blindness. That's how people were thinking. So in other words, you deserve being blind. You deserve being deaf. You deserve having leprosy. Incredible. That's how the thinking was back then. And guess who Jesus went to? He went to the, line, the lame and the deaf the paralytic at the pool of Siloam. You've been there for 38 years. The leper at the side of the road. The blind man wanting to see David, King, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. He went to the tax collector up in the tree who were hated by the Jews, the lowlifes. He went to a prostitute caught in the act of adultery. He went to a widow's only son being carried to his grave. And he went to a woman who had an issue of blood. This woman right here had an issue of blood. And she crawled through the crowd. It doesn't depict what the crowd was really like that day. Because it was jammed. And she made her way through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. And the issue of blood that she dealt with over the years was immediately healed. And Jesus was so jammed with people, he said to his disciples, somebody touch me. And the disciples go, are thinking, this guy, is, our, our teacher's nuts. He's crowded by people, and yet this, he feels somebody touching him. And it was this woman, the lowlife, the one who had the issue of blood. We are all important to Christ. You are important to Christ. Your importance to Christ will never increase, listen to me, or decrease depending on whether you sin or not. Why? Some of us feel when we sin, it's like, I'm going to hide from God. You know, especially when you do it deliberately. You will never be outside of God's love or grace when you blow it simply because he has covered already all of your sins by the blood of his son, Jesus. You are important to God. And your importance will never increase or decrease. You will always be important to God. You're not a nobody. You are unchangingly important to God. I want that to sink in today. I'm carefully created for God's good purposes. 
I'm uniquely special in God's divine perspective. And I am unchangingly important by God's eternal pronouncement. You know, you may feel overlooked by others. You may feel unimportant. You may feel that you got dealt a bad hand when you came into this life. But God never feels that way about you. I want you to know that. Are you with me? You guys with me? I want you to see this clip, please. No such thing as nobody. No such thing as nobody. You are somebody in God's sight. You are important. You are created carefully. You are unique in God's sight. Close your eyes with me by your heads. Some of you have been dealing with this issue for a long time. It raises its ugly head, which is indicative of the flaming arrows that the enemy shoots at us. And they sometimes penetrate, and it hurts. And we start thinking about how worthless we are how valueless we are. It's a lie from the enemy. Many of you are longing, looking for God's purpose on this planet. Why, why am I here? So what if I worked for the state for 96 years? So what? What do I, what do, I do now? What, what kind of purpose do I have? God has still a purpose for your life. Many of you don't feel special at all feel overlooked by God. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to be over every person right now in this place. I want God's special hand upon each one of you to make you feel that you are unique, that you are created special, and that you are important. God, may that happen right now. May everyone leave this place with their head held high, knowing that they are, in your eyes, special and important and created for a purpose that only you can fill. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this young nephew of Paul's who taught us a great lesson. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Thank you, Jesus.